So our sermon text for this evening comes out of the Gospel of John, and it reads like this. John three fourteen verses 21, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness, rather than the light, because their works were evil." For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, I ask that you would speak your word clearly and powerfully tonight through these very imperfect lips, I pray that the message of this uh, so familiar text would ring true in a new way for us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you ever over-listen to a song or an album you really like? I mean, it, it just, it's, you, you can't get enough of a particular record. It's just, uh, you know, I know record's not a thing anymore, so. But you, you just can't get enough of a particular song, and for a while you listen to it, and no matter how many times it comes on the radio, you just, it's, you, you turn it up, you love it. Uh, there's sometimes where there's whole albums like that, you, can, you know every part of the album. For me, that was, uh, as a teenager, young adult, uh, the Blue Album from Weezer. Some of you might be familiar with, uh, with that album. It is still, I think, in the top five best albums ever made. Uh, I love that record. I absolutely love it. I, can, I know every air guitar solo in that album. I know how to play the drums to it. I literally do know how to play the drums to it. I don't know how to play guitar, but I know air guitar. I'm super awesome at it. But there was a time that I had listened to the record so much that I did kind of stop appreciating it. I mean, it just, you know, like it became, it became a little old hat for a little while. And I didn't pick it up for a long time. And about a year ago, I picked it up again and I was like, ah, this is wonderful. But for a while, I just, I just overdone it. And I think sometimes that kind of thing can happen with certain Bible verses. I mean, we're not trying to. And one of those Bible verses, I think, where that happens a lot of the time is the big one in our text today, the biggie, John 3.16. You've heard it a million times. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. It just comes clean out of the lips. It's so natural. I would imagine that some of you in here have that verse memorized and you know it before I even say it. 
It has to be the most famous verse in the Bible. I mean, in every sporting event, there's always at least one person holding up a sign that says John 3.16. At every march or protest, no matter what the protest is about, there's probably somebody holding up a sign that says John 3.16. I mean, even at my most beloved, glorious In-N-Out burger on the bottom of their cups, they literally print John 3.16 just to prove to you that their burgers are from heaven. <laughs> And one of the things that can prevent us from hearing certain things, even scripture, as old hat or cliched, is I think something that we're going to do tonight. And that is we're, we're going to look at the broader context of a passage. And hopefully through that, maybe just maybe our understanding of it, although maybe won't change dramatically, maybe we'll feel fresh again. At least that's been my prayer this week as I have prepared this message for tonight. And so what we're going to do this evening is we're going to talk about three things we learned from this text. Number one, why Jesus came. Number two, what Jesus did. And number three, what Jesus gives. So first of all, why Jesus came. There's one overarching reason uh, in our passage for why Jesus came. Very clear. To save us. From ourselves. To save us from ourselves. Now why is it we need to be saved from ourselves? Well, look at me at verse 19 and 20 of our passage. It sort of gives a diagnosis of humanity. And it says, people love the darkness rather than the light because their works are evil. And then John goes on to tell us why people love the darkness rather than the light. Because everyone, or for everyone who does wicked things, hates the light and does not uh, does not come to light, lest his works should be exposed. Just hang your hat on that word, exposed, there, because I think that's really key. John is saying the reason that Jesus needs to save us from ourselves is because, apart from being rescued, we will choose to walk in darkness. Why? To avoid exposure. Hmm. Whenever I hear that, hear that word exposed, I can't help but think of the opening chapters of the very first book of the Bible, the creation story. The way it's pictured, humanity is pictured in the people of Adam and Eve as being completely and utterly exposed and naked. And the text of Scripture is very clear to say they're naked and without shame. No shame. Utterly vulnerable. The picture of the world before sin corrupts it is of a place where we feel so safe, so comfortable, that we're not ashamed. Of even the, the weakest parts of ourselves. And what happens after sin enters the world? What's the first thing they do? We've been hiding ever since. It is our de facto position to fear exposure. So we try to sew fig leaves. We try to sew some sort of clothing to cover up our exposure. And that clothing can be any number of things. We could go out into the world and pretend that our job is what really makes us important. And that can be a way of clothing ourselves. Look, I'm covering myself to make you think that I matter. 
You name it. Go through the list of things. There's a million ways we try to cover ourselves because we're afraid of what will happen if somebody sees the real us. We're afraid of being judged. As a matter of fact, I've become convinced, from what I read, that modern American life is sort of based on one overarching desire. And the one overarching desire of modern American life in so many pockets is to avoid judgment and condemnation from others. We're terrified of it. It, it, it sort of guides everything we do. When we walk outside, we know what we can say publicly and what we have to keep to ourselves. Because if we say something that is deemed inappropriate or wrong or bad by whoever makes these decisions in our culture, watch out. In a world of social media, we are easily destroyed. And so as a result... If we can't be vulnerable, then we find it difficult to love. And if we can't love, then we find it difficult to be loved. Because to be loved means somebody seeing the real you. That's the risk. C.S. Lewis discussed this phenomenon and uh, really categorized it as something like the seed form of hell. He wrote, there is no safe investment. To love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal, not even to a pet. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The alternative to tragedy, or at least the risk of tragedy, Lewis says, is damnation. The only place outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers and perturbations of love hell. End quote. So that's the question that our text is asking of us first tonight. What are you keeping hidden in the dark? What are you afraid to have the light exposed? Here's the truth. As scary as it might seem, the longer you dwell in the dark, the more you try and hide that thing. Not bring it out to the light of God. The more impenetrable you become. But it doesn't have to be like that because the light has come into the world not to condemn the world, but as Jesus says, to save the world. AA gets this, recovery gets this, that the only path to freedom is by first admitting that you failed. You can't help yourself. One of my best friends, best friends on planet Earth is a former meth addict. He's now a Christian. Without going into his whole amazing story of redemption, and it is a wonderful story, I asked him once what got him started on the path to recovery from his addiction. 
And he said when things were really hitting bottom, he was alone in his apartment. He had lost almost everything. I mean, he had made quite a bit of money. He had been pretty successful. But by that time, his addiction had taken over. He had lost everything. He was avoiding everyone because this is what you do. When you, you don't want to be exposed, you avoid everyone. You hide in the dark. And he was just sitting around, getting high, not eating, and soon to be homeless when his best friend called him. He'd been avoiding him, too. But this time, he answered, I think unwittingly. His best friend got on the phone and said, Look, man, you're my best friend. I love you. You're going to die, and I don't want you to die. And it shook my friend to the core. And they said, I'm here for you. And that's where the path began. The light shined, pierced through the darkness. And though it was painful to be exposed, to admit it, it was the path to recovery. And so the question for us is, can we believe that? That the light that seems to haunt us is not actually exposing us to hurt us, but to rescue us because, because the light, Jesus loves us. Well, in case you struggle to believe this, let's move on to what Jesus did to prove it to you. What did Jesus do? At the beginning of our passage, Jesus mentioned something strange as he is discussing what he's here to do. He says, Moses lifted, as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. What on earth is he talking about? Well, he's referencing the story that uh, the cat read earlier in our service from Numbers 21. In that story, God's people, after being delivered from slavery in Egypt, waste no time before they complain about their conditions. Shocking that human beings would find a way to complain about anything, but yes, it happened. Even though they had been rescued from slavery, delivered from slavery, as soon as things go bad, they say, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. He's got to love it. I loathe this. I mean, just so strong. They sound a lot like my kids when we go away on a road trip after a couple hours, you know. I loathe the worthless snacks you bought and I can't stand being in this car anymore. <laughs> and so it says, then the Lord said, fiery serpents among the people. Fiery here probably doesn't literally mean they were on fire. I mean, so don't picture snakes like on fire. I mean, even though that's horrendous and horrific to think about. But no, it's, it, it was probably meaning that they were fiery in their bite, that like venomous and that they could really uh, do some damage or poisonous. And so these snakes, God says, all right, you think it's bad right now? You don't like the food? Here's some snakes to come after you. This is how it could be, guys. I'm going to try that with my kids sometime, too, when they complain. Here's some snakes. <laughs> and what happens as a result, as they start getting bitten and they start feeling what life really can be, how bad it can get, well, then they're drawn out of the darkness and into the light. And what do they do? The people came to Moses and said, we have sinned. We have sinned. We confess. We've confessed. Just stop it for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And that, my friends, is exactly what it sounds like to be in the light. Confession of sin and a plea for mercy. That's all it is. That's it. So Moses does pray and God says, okay, here's what I want you to do, Moses. You've got to believe Moses might have, God must have just gone like, that sounds so 
odd to me. That sounds so strange. But, but he says, um, here's what I want you to do. Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. Okay. Oh, I guess you're the Lord. I'm not. I'll do what you say. So he makes this bronze serpent. And it turns out anybody who's bitten, when they see it, when they look to it, is healed. Of all the pictures in the Old Testament that Jesus could use to describe what he's here to do, he chooses this one. Why? Because we are naturally just like the people of Israel. We complain and are entitled with God and dwell in darkness and the penalty is death. As Romans says, the wages of sin is death. And Jesus says in our text, we are condemned already because of that. And Jesus says, just like that bronze serpent was lifted up for the sins of the people of Israel, so I will be lifted up for your sins. So what Jesus wants us to know is he's come to be our substitute. His whole life is leading him to the cross to be lifted up for your sins, to fulfill all righteousness on your behalf. And listen to me, it's not merely enough to give you a blank slate or a second chance. You know why that's not sufficient? Because if you have a blank slate, guess what? You'll mess it up. You'll make it messy. You, you can't talk about the forgiveness of God as just giving us a blank slate because we're going to mess it up again. No, no, it's better than that. He gives you all of his righteousness. He makes you perfect. Think of yourself naturally as being like a bank account with millions of dollars in debt that you could never pay off. And then God doesn't just get rid of your debt, but he adds millions of dollars to your account that you can never spend. You have more than you could ever possibly spend. That's what he gives you. He gives you the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He doesn't treat you as your sins deserve because you look at the one who's lifted up. Because one was lifted up for you. That's what he did. I don't know if any of you watched the funeral last week of Billy Graham. Uh, it was quite something. There was a wonderful contrast in that service, and I don't know if you noticed it. One of his daughters, I think it's Anne Graham Lotz, uh, got up and gave the most theologically precise sort of talk about salvation, about heaven, about hell. I mean, it just, everything kind of, it was very theologically correct. And then after her, her sister got up, her sister Ruth. And Ruth, well... She made a bit of a mess of her life. And she told this story, you know, she, she, had, uh, she had kids that were almost grown by then. And after 21 years of marriage to her husband, they got divorced. And she didn't know what to do. And she's all of a sudden a single mom after doing this together. She's sort of in a bad place. And uh, her parents recommend that she kind of move away from where she had lived. And so she moves away and goes to uh, this new place where this, where this new church, this new community. And what do you know, as soon as she gets to this new church, she meets this very handsome, stunning man and she starts to date him and it goes hot and heavy real quick. And her parents see that she is just diving right into this relationship, Billy and, and her mother. And they say, hold on, just take it slower. Don't go so quickly. Why don't you bring him up here and introduce him to us before you get so serious? 
And we said, well, you know, what do you know? You're, you're Billy Graham. I mean, you know, you, don't, you never had the problems that I have. You've been divorced. I'm, I'm raising kids on my own. I need the help. And she went and got married, this man. And she said within 24 hours, she realized that she had made a mistake. And with a matter of, within a matter of weeks, they had separated. It was a disaster. So she called her parents and she told them and she was so afraid of what their parents' reaction would be. I mean, this is Billy Graham. What an embarrassment to the family name. And yet she said she drove up to the house where her parents were. And as she pulled up close, she was so afraid of what her dad or mom would say. Her dad was waiting there in the driveway. And as soon as she got out of the car, he embraced her and just said, welcome home. He didn't treat her as her sins deserved. Because he knew what Jesus had done for him. Jesus was lifted up for sinners, for people that had worn out their welcome home. And said, the welcome is never ending. What's interesting about that, too, I just want to point this out, side note. Um, I had many non-Christian friends on Facebook and in social media sharing that story, that video of that story from Ruth Graham all over their social media. You know why? Because that message preaches. A message of a God who is so scandalously committed to us that no matter how much we fail, when we come back to him says... Welcome home, that preaches. That preaches in a culture that is isolated and that is feeling so distant from any real love or intimacy. When you can say, that's your God. He doesn't treat you as your sins deserve, but he embraces you. That preaches. And so what's the result of being treated as righteous even though we're not? (laughs) Well, that's our final point, and that's eternal life. What Jesus gives, that's the good news for you. Just as the people of Israel looked to what was lifted up and, find, and, and found life out of death, so too all who look to Jesus, believe in Jesus, trust in Jesus, have life now as well. I was listening to one of my favorite comics the other day, Norm MacDonald, talk about death. Actually, if you listen to him in interviews, which is always, it's kind of a risky thing, by the way, I... You'll find that he often talks about death. He's obsessed with it. Because he feels that no matter what we do here, if we can't find a solution to that, then what's the point of any of this? And this recognition, by the way, has actually led Norm to consider Christianity. He talks about it often in interviews and things. Norm echoes what so many have noted throughout history. Consider the words of author Morton Kelsey. If we are indeed part and parcel of a meaningless universe, the kind in which Jesus could be murdered on a cross with no resurrection, then being depressed only makes good sense. Under these conditions, the sensitive and sensible person will be depressed. But he says, I've discovered only one event in history that redeems all the evil for us and gives me hope. That is the resurrection 
Jesus. And that hope of eternal life is now yours. Right now. You own it. For you who believe, it's yours. You have it. It's not something that's coming. You have it right now. You are the possessor of it. So here's my question for you tonight in closing. We we come into the light. Whether for the first time or for the 500th time, will you come into the light? Everyone's prone to hiding from the light. I am. I know you are. But based on the fact that our text shows us he, the light, only comes to save us, not condemn us. And that he's so serious about it that he'd be willing to die and that he's giving eternal life freely to all who accept it. Will you come into the light? Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, I pray. For those secret hidden things that we're so afraid to have exposed. That right now as we prepare to go to your table, that you, you would bring us into the light. As we receive the body that was given for us and the blood that was shed for the forgiveness of our sins, may we see the goodness of the light for us so that we would not walk in fear but walk in power. And the power that comes from the eternal life that you have given We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.